I saw that the filmmakers of Ghost in the Shell oh. have doubled down on themselves. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> it's an international <laughs> film, man. Boy. <laughs> this is like, I like how you're talking to me. Like I'm the person I'm, who wrote I'm not, it. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to oh my General. God. <laughs> anyway, um, I got fucking so, foghorn so, leghorn over there. Boy, you better, you better stop. Uh, boy, I said boy. Boy. Can we do an episode of Home Improvement? A movie? <laughs> I like how on that show, too, there's this reoccurring theme of Tim Allen having to go to the hospital. It's like every episode, he's like, well, they have a mug for me because I'm here every week. <laughs> Is it a good thing that you're a horrible father? Can't so. be worse than Bill Cosby. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, speaking of Bill Cosby, oh my God! Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this week's episode of Film Tank, we discuss the new film by the Daniels, Swiss Army Man, which stars Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. I can't be a, a, a wizard. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there again, everybody, and welcome into episode 71 of Film Tank. I am Alex Siegman, along with Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and our friend Sam Shamara, joining us again. Thanks. I know, we're excited to have you, especially since these two have been lifeless in the intros for the last, like... (laughs) Thank you. That was the first time since... Like, April? I know. Toussaint's brought something to the table, so there it was. I'm just so excited. Had it, though. Yeah, pretty much. Pop popcorn. Like recently, Tucson, I've just like led up to him, like, and Tucson Egan. He's like, "Hi, like, it's hi. been awesome." What's up? Hey, what's up, guys? He's fucking. Let's do it. He's fucking uh, Wilson on uh, Home Improvement. Oh yeah, I love Wilson. Peering <laughs> over the fence. Like, hey guys. Yeah. Hey neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. That guy's cool. Is he though? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. On today's episode, we are talking about Home the- Improvement. Yeah, that'd be great. Can we do an episode of Home Improvement? A movie? <laughs> like the entire show? Yeah. <laughs> I like how on that show, too, um, it's such a 90s thing, but there's this reoccurring theme of Tim Allen having to go to the hospital because he's a horrible person. Um, and I, I don't know. It's like every episode, he's like, well, they have a mug for me because I'm here every week. <laughs> like, oh, is, is it a good thing that you're a horrible father? Can't so. be worse than Bill Cosby. <laughs> oh my God! Oh. Speaking of Bill Cosby, oh my God! <laughs> we're we're gonna get to uh, the rest of my trip in a minute because I went to uh, Disney earlier this you week. Met Bill Cosby? <laughs> no, no, I don't think anybody's met Bill Cosby late recently. Oh man! Luckily, not women either. So. Oh. <laughs> 
So anyways, uh, last time I was at the Disney Hollywood Studios, they still had the Bill Cosby bust up. And you took the picture of it. I took a it. photo with it because it was right after uh, all the stuff came out. Like a lot of the really, really Horrible big stuff. details yeah. with Bill Cosby. And uh, I made a point to look, and that bust is no longer there. Mm-hmm. It's been really? replaced by a bust of Ron Howard. So that's there Somebody now. Somebody is doing their job. <laughs> I, like, I like Ron Howard. He's good. Yeah, it's he's good. good. He's good. He's had a good, good life. Yeah. 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 So anyways, uh, we are talking about Swiss Army Man today, the film uh, that premiered at Sundance, and me and Nick saw it at Sundance. I'm sure we'll have a couple mentions about that on the episode. Uh, it's directed by the uh, the Daniels, who have done some interesting music video work, which we'll hit on as well uh, later on in the episode. First, though, in addition to talking about my trip to Disney uh, last weekend, I know Nick had uh, a couple things he wanted to say to start off the episode, so I'll let him have the floor. Yeah, uh, it's unfortunate that just after, was it our last episode that we, or two episodes ago, that we uh, reminisced about a passing of somebody in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, on the and, uh, um, Anton Yelchin we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. the Finding Dory episode. Mm-hmm. But uh, two weeks later, we have, uh, and this is in no way an insult to Anton Yelchin, but an even more uh, uh, bigger void that is now present because of uh, Abbas Karastami, the Iranian filmmaker has now died at the age of 76, I believe. And for anybody who's ever heard me talk about film, the movie uh, Close Up, which was his film from 1991, uh, was like one of the most formative cinema experiences I've ever had, just watching a movie. And it's like probably the movie that taught me that there is, at least in some aspect like in some way that there is no such thing as the world cinema like it's all cinema and it's just it's just the work he's done and it says a lot that i've only seen four of his movies uh out of like probably roughly the 20 or so that he's made and all of them have been sort of formative experiences in your own like film like uh, education yeah and and that's partly because a lot of it's hard to watch. Not hard to watch, hard to secure and actually get because of uh, the film release uh, system that they have over in Iran and right. whatnot. In fact, the last two that he's made that have gotten uh, very easy releases were a French production he made and a Japanese production. So, uh, But all, a lot of the work that he made back in his home country uh, still remains hard to get, but companies like the Criterion Collection are making it somewhat easier. But um, he was always making movies that like challenged the viewers and uh, was not ambiguous in the way that... like indie tripe is ambiguous like just Mm. ending a movie before the final scene written or something like that but ambiguous in a way where after you after you view these these films that he made like you're questioning what you just saw as a total experience and the value that it has uh in conjunction with why we go to the cinema to begin with i mean Mm. he's just one of the biggest uh directors that i feel like Ever since I've gotten into the film uh, as a medium, he's the biggest director that I've been cognizant of watching films that I, that we've lost. So this is like the first time that because uh, I mean we lose a lot of actors and we I mean not that we haven't lost directors obviously, right. but as far as in the the last ten years or so that I've been seriously watching film, this is like the biggest uh, death for cinema that I've seen so far. Now, do you think that down the line? Um, his sort of 
legacy could reach other foreign filmmakers like i'm I'm talking like 20 years down the road like oh someone like well i'm I'm talking about like someone like huge like kurosawa or something like that oh absolutely yeah i would say he's that's part of what's remarkable about him is that he's already pretty much on that level as far as how regarded he is Mm. um obviously he's someone that is hard to teach in the same way you would teach somebody like kurosawa which you can teach on so many different levels because there's like especially when it comes to just composition and like just the technical aspect he's a lot more challenging in the sense that it's a lot more about like what we don't do in cinema he does mm-hmm. but he doesn't do it just for that he's not like a nicholas winding reference someone who i've obviously enjoyed some of his movies yeah but i find is up his own ass and like yes. he's just doing it because he can or whatever mm-hmm. like kiristami I leave every single one of his works that I've seen so far, not always knowing why he does something, but so glad that he did because it was clearly the right choice, even if I can't articulate it. And he's gone on record saying that like, he, he makes these movies because he believes that the less you can reconcile with the why, the better the experience is because then you'll still have something to go back to. And It stays so, with you like yeah. after the fact. And it's like, like even with the mention of... like. I've I've never seen any of his films before, but you, you mentioned it close. I know that's like one of your top favorite films yep. of all time. That like is I, like my third, like on my yeah. letterbox list, is my third favorite movie of all time, and it's pretty much, uh, it's it's a. Uh, is one of the most audacious movies I've ever seen. I guess I'll explain that in 30 mm-hmm. seconds. But it's this like hybrid documentary in which a petty crime is committed, uh, and Kiristami uh, essentially goes out and takes the people involved with the crime and has them recreate the scenes as if it's really happening in front of the camera. And it starts to call into the question of fact versus fiction. And if we, you know, just by nature of turning on a camera, does it make anything have any less value? Or do labels actually mean anything when you call something a documentary? Or if it, you know, and it just completely blurs those lines. And, and not to mention, without saying too much about it, but... It has to do with movies itself because uh, it's just a very meta, very touching uh, humanistic story that is literally one of the most staged things ever because everything is scripted to a T, mm. but yet one of the most deeply uh, feeling and realistic movies ever made because it's A, based on a real event, and because every party involved agreed to come back and do this for a director just because of his vision. It seems like today, and I, I think this is something that, Nick, I mentioned to you after we saw the film, because the film I'm going to bring up in a minute is the first kind of film that I've seen that's like this. Yes. But uh, a film that we saw at Sundance that I absolutely loved uh, called Kate Plays Christine yes. uh, seems quite similar to the, this I... kind of style. And it's it's wonderful to watch because... It is, in one sense, a documentary, but at the same time, it is following this weird narrative yep. structure with it, and it's it's just so bizarre, and actually just a wonderful experience, because it does feel pretty fresh in, yep. in, in terms of how we see other movies made these days. Yep. And I had actually, I even leaned over to you after that movie <laughs> ended, and I said, this felt the closest I've seen American cinema come to Iranian cinema, okay. because it's not just Kiarostami, he started it, but then people in his wake, uh, like... Uh, Jafar Panahi has followed in his wake. Um, he was the director of the movie that I 
put as my fourth favorite movie of last year, I think, the the one called Taxi about oh, okay. the, the yeah. taxi where yeah. it's supposed to be all fake, but yet it feels like it's actually a document. Anyway, mm-hmm. but he's clearly influenced by um, someone from his own country and whatnot. But just to sum it all up, I mean, Kiristami is, uh, we, we will never have a filmmaker probably like him ever again i mean you know there are people that you you imitate like scorsese and i'm not saying people like will ever be as good as scorsese or anything like that but you can like try to tap into what they did you know but what kurostami did was so uniquely uh, embedded into the way he thought about cinema uh and that's why he creates these alt- ultra personal uh, experiences for every viewer who goes to see one of his movies that we, we've just lost something that we'll never recapture again. But luckily, a lot of his movies are out there, so we can still watch them. Uh, notable works include Close Up, uh, Taste of Cherry, and uh, Certified Copy from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are kind of his big tentpole films. So seek those out if you haven't seen it. I'll say this Certified Copy has some of the, or not some, one of the greatest mid-movie shifts in 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 narrative storytelling I've ever seen. It's like before Sunset turns into uh, this dream world-flipped version of itself. Oh, uh, wow. Halfway through, but it, cool. it, yeah, but... I'm- but you always have to invest in his movies before something, you know, like pulls back that second layer. You know how much I love the Before series, so I yeah. it's so I, and I, I won't say what happens, but okay. the movie, let's just say it's like two halves of the same movie. Uh, one got flipped over on its head that mm. follows the other, and it, it it's it's beautiful to watch and and unexplainable, and yet that's what cinema is to him and to for people like me who love his work, and it's just it's magic and. The more I, like, try to figure out, like, how did he do that or why did he do that, the more i just always going to think about his work. So I just wanted to say a few words about Abbas Kurastami. No, that's great. And I know we've... We've had a couple mentions of him previously on the, on the podcast as well, but it's it's always nice to to hear more about. It's not necessarily, especially when someone passes away, but uh, you know we have a hard time in our Western culture really embracing foreign film. But when you sit down and watch clusters of foreign film, which is usually what happens to me, where I'll watch mm-hmm. one, then I'll watch like three or four afterwards. Yeah. It's just awesome to see that kind of filmmaking and how great of stories they can come. And some of them aren't good, but some of them are really, honestly, just great works. I so, agree. Yeah. So. Good stuff. You just talking about um, this director just like reminds me of this this quote from Dave Chappelle. And, it's like, and I feel like it's, a, it's an important quote, especially when somebody of great significance passes away. Is like, the mark of greatness is when everything before you is obsolete and everything after you bears your mark. And it's yeah. like, I'm not sure if like... Before him, I would I would call it obsolete, but it definitely seems like he left his mark. I was gonna say he he saw what cinema wasn't doing, and he decided to do it himself. And mm-hmm. now we have people in his wake doing that. Yeah. Uh, Close up is the movie that like if we if we're still doing film tank next mm-hmm. uh, next year, and we do a February favorite again, Close Up will be my choice for that. Like I've already pretty much picked it out since oh. we did the, <laughs> since the first round of February favorite. Yeah, we'll, guess we'll just have to keep doing it then. Yeah, we go. <laughs> Got to do it. Yeah, we do it for Abbas. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we get to talking about the main film today, I wanted to mention my trip to uh, Florida last weekend with. Our old buddy, Kenny Marcellus. Hey, Kenny! I know. He used to uh, be a regular on this uh, the podcast, and uh, unfortunately, he hasn't been on really that much recently. But we love Kenny. I, we do, and he is 
a, a very fun person to be around, and I'm uh, I'm still really great friends with Kenny. And we uh, went to Florida to go to SeaWorld, a go to uh, the NASCAR race at Daytona last weekend, which was both of those were fun. But sort of a bonus was we ended up going to two Disney parks, uh, the Animal Kingdom and Disney's Hollywood Studios. Uh, and I really want to hit on Hollywood Studios because of two events. A, saw the beginnings of the Star Wars stuff they have there. And they are building this massive Star Wars area at the park. And it's going to open in like three years. So it's a ways away. But um, to hold people over, they have added all these little Star Wars things throughout the park. And I got to tell you, as a Star Wars fan, I am, like, loving every second of it. Can I call Kylo Ren, didn't you? I was getting there. (laughs) So Before you get to that story, can I ask a random question? Sure. I see on Facebook a lot um, these random – and I feel like they're just reblogged from Tumblr. But these random (laughs) videos of something – Star Wars somewhere, and I feel like it's there where you work, and I want to know if, if that's what it okay, is, and if it's it. there. But it's but I can't explain exactly what it is, but all I ever see are these videos in which there's some kind of stage and, like, a place where, like, people who dress up as, like, Star Wars characters come out and, like, they dance or something like that. I don't know. Like, it's... Well, there, there's... this weird viral sensation. It's twofold, because here's this thing. So... They have this whole Star Wars stage set up because they have Star Wars fireworks now at nighttime, which apparently are great. And we had to leave for our flights. We weren't Uh, able to stay and see them. Shame. I know. Shame. Go back. (laughs) But I, I I might have to. I've heard they're great. And for someone who's as big of a Star Wars fan as I am, Mm -hmm. I feel like I kind of have to. So they have shows that happen there all day on the hour, pretty much, or every half hour, which are a. They have all these different characters from Star Wars, including like R2-D2, C-3PO, Darth Vader, come out and do this like small like stage show. I feel like that's what it is. It could be, but this is like somewhat new within the uh, last like couple months. Okay, no, it definitely dates back before that. And they have another thing, which is called the March of the First Order, uh, which is Captain Phasma and 12 Stormtroopers just walking through the park and walking up and just marching around. And Definitely Captain Phasma talks to people. And it's just... Wow, Captain Phasma talks? I know. And does things? It's funny because oh. uh, I looked to Kenny right after we saw this march, and I'm like, wow, that's more of Captain Phasma than we got in The Force Awakens. And Ooh, this is, it's it, true. It actually is true. Yeah. But what uh, Nick's talking about, I think, might be related to by the Star Tours ride, which, by the way... Uh, Disney, who's working on this big Star Wars land, has already found a way to get both Finn and BB-8 into the actual ride. Like, they're already in it. So that's there for you. And they have this side stage uh, where they do different kinds of little things involving kids where they can come up and, like, do lightsaber things. They also have Darth Vader, Chewbacca... And Kylo Ren come out throughout the day. This thing looks like a runway, like a model would walk down. It's, it's Maybe. Just, I, don't I don't know. know. It's just so weird because I just keep seeing, and it's not the same video, like different iterations. As if it's a, from a theme park, because okay. it must be that they is always it, have it staffed. Is it maybe something out in Disneyland? And that might, Could that be. Might be. It just, I just didn't know. I can verify with like California friends eventually. Whoa. Back you guys. got inside wow. access. Just say, we got contacts. Please do. I've always been curious what the hell this thing is. What? California? <laughs> California. Oh, Here man. That's a, uh, that's, a, that's a good reference. We've been on the road. 
Yeah, that's uh, was it Phantom uh, Planet? Phantom Planet with uh, Schwartzman. He's that's the right. drummer. Yes. I saw them play live once. Did you? Can't even believe it. I love that song because I love the OC. <laughs> I love that song too because it's the only song anyone ever knew from them. So there it you is go. True. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, we saw this, saw other things at the Hollywood series as well, but really paid attention to a lot of the Star Wars things. And they have a meet and greet there with the character Kylo Ren. Oh, boy. Which I wanted to do because I'm an overgrown child. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, this, this guy we're with, who Kenny is friends with from his, uh, the other podcast he's involved, which is a uh, theme park podcast mm-hmm. called In the Loop, uh, he joined us for, at the park for a little while, and he was telling us that if you're a uh, Chase Sorry, Disney just, member, oh, Nick's brought it up. Yeah, it, it, that's that place. I believe that is at Disney World. Okay, because that is the but place that, that I always see. That's on Star Wars Weekends, which this was not one of them. Okay, uh, I was just curious what that was. In, but they have, to. they have whole weekends dedicated oh, to Star okay. Wars where they have even more characters gotcha. and different things. Oh, but, boy. I know the time I need to go now. That's right. <laughs> not Star Wars Weekends? Well, no, that's when I have to go. Oh, <laughs> so you are, you are a fan of the Star Wars yes. then? Oh. I'm a fan of Star Wars. I'm just not a fan of, like, Small children running around that, with lightsabers that, hitting you. That an over aggressive like fawning where it's just like it's all around me. It's it's like when we went to go see Back to the Future two on the anniversary of the day when you're supposed to. Go I will to the say future. this though. I will say this. Playing the it, fucking theme on the Glockenspiel, I'm just like, damn, it, I hate these people. <laughs> it's it, it shows both a how much money Disney has invested in Star Wars and yeah. b how much they own the people who are in these movies. Yeah. Because uh, the Captain Phasma character who walks around interacts with the audience, and all of the dialogue is definitely Gwendolyn Christie. Oh, I thought you meant like Gwendolyn Christie. How much they actually own these characters that yeah. Gwendolyn Christie has to like do like community service. It's part of their contract. Not qu- Jesus. Not, but like someone will stand in her way, and the character will stop and actually says the line please move out of the way and it's just like oh shit like we've gotten there so there was that so anyways um he had a uh, chase disney credit card which gives you premier access to not have to wait in line to meet some of the characters can he have this oh no his friend from the uh, the oh okay gotcha gotcha so it was a 30 minute wait to meet kylo ren of course and he had his credit card and like showed it you know like a vip (laughs) So we just walk into, and here's the weird thing, because you could either wait in line to meet Kylo Ren or, or do this. And I, I just assumed, or like you... most Disney attractions, you would just move to the front of the line. Yeah. But instead, we walk around uh, this, this bend and walk around these two little swerves and then just walk into this room and he's just fucking standing there. And it was the most bizarre thing. <laughs> Because I watched this it ends with with all three of you getting a hand job. <laughs> <laughs> I walk in and Kylo Ren just stands there, and because I'm the one who wanted to do this, I get pushed in first. And he walks up and puts his face right at me yeah. and starts talking. And because I just mentioned the thing about Gwendolyn Christie, mm-hmm. he says all these lines that are him talking. And I'm assuming somebody in another room, like playing certain lines at a time, yeah. trying to have a conversation with me, with definitely with the Adam Driver voice. Jesus. But it's like he was staring—he was staring at me and like wanting me to respond—and kept tilting his head at me like yeah. Stewie on Family Guy. And I was just—the other two guys were just laughing. I don't know what to do. I know what I would have said. I would have told you, "says like, yeah, it's like Ray is Anakin's uh, reincarnation. You're oh. never going to be Darth Vader ever." 
See, but I'm not like you. And then I, the lightsaber comes out of nowhere and like stabs you. Don't I, give a shit. I won. I, I am aware <laughs> that um, these people are not the actual characters, so yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't have gone that route. Yeah. But. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Nick is just holding his forehead. <laughs> Fuck you guys. I know it's not real. I'm just being an asshole. So th- this was a very... This pe- is my nightmare. If, he, if he's going to play a character, I'm going to play the character. This is a very is peculiar, true. bizarre... like Because this just went on for like a minute where I'm just standing there not knowing what to say. And he's saying all this Star Wars shit. And then he starts walking in a circle around me. And I'm, I have... <laughs> I have no idea what to do. I just came here to take a photo, and I've got these lines that are clearly Adam Driver's voice being said while he's walking around me, and I pretty much just froze. I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, I I just came here to take a photo with somebody in the Kylo Ren outfit. So it was bizarre. It was almost weird because we just got herded right into the room. And then we finally got a f- couple photos with him, one of which is posted on our Instagram page, which was our first post since February 9th. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's oh. – It was worth it. It was worth it. <clears throat> wait. I'm a person who watches – like some of my favorite things to watch are cringe comedy. Like, And I don't cringe at it. I just think it's hilarious. And I know. Lifelike. I've, I've gone to, to Francis Ha with this guy and just yeah. like – Literally tore myself apart in the seat because I yeah. just can't handle that uh, shit. And yet I am like, that is the most uncomfortable thing I've ever heard. And if I was in that room, I would have fucking freaked out. I, I would not have been able to handle that. So the, the, the great end to the story is that me and Kenny decide to go on the Star Tours ride after this. And they're doing one of these these plays outside on that same stage you were just talking okay. about on the opposite side of the park. And uh, these this person is training these young Jedi, which are these all these kids who are you know probably having the time of their lives, getting to hold lightsabers and all this stuff. And Kylo Ren comes out, and I'm like, oh no, he's back. Oh no, this guy, <laughs> he's back. He tries to con- convert people to the dark side, and uh. and and they pretty much tell him no. And he turns. We don't like you, fag. <laughs> like, like in Jingle All the Way. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, I, I was quoting. I know what you're quoting. I know was, you guys do. I want people wonderful. at home to know <laughs> yeah. that I love everybody. Because it's, it's Adam Driver's Kylo Ren, not because of that, yeah. but because people are like this guy isn't really a villain, is he? So anyways... He's the booster of Star Wars. <laughs> wow. So this ends with all these kids and these Jedi people being like, ah, we don't want to join the dark side. He turns around and hits his fake lightsaber against the side like he does in a movie for like 30 seconds. Wow. <laughs> you are not making this character any cooler by making him such... Oh my god. Uh, they're pretty in touch with exactly what Kylo Ren is Man. in that universe right now. Man. So, I think we're going to see a shift in the Kylo Ren character in the uh, next movie. I hope so. He needs to. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. We were actually myself and Emily, uh, my wife, were watching uh, the Force Awakens again mm-hmm. uh, the other night. And when he takes his helmet off, Emily just sits there and just sits up and goes, Boo! Shouldn't have ever taken your helmet off! It's true. He's a lot scarier with the helmet on. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Darth Vader never oh took God. his helmet off. And when he did, you're like, oh, look, it's... Joel. 
<laughs> I was going to say, it's like, oh, the old dead Monopoly man. Cool, man. <laughs> oh, goddamn. Yeah. So, yeah, because the Monopoly man's really going to be hurt over that. <laughs> no, I, just, I bet he's crying right now. Come on. No, it's just, I never thought of that, but I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> do not pass go. Do not collect $200. <laughs> wow, Darby. Shatter my monocle. <laughs> you are not the father. <laughs> oh, my God. Where did Maury sh- come in? Oh, <laughs> well, there was a shirt that says... Um, that says I am your father, and it was supposed to be like. Oh, you weren't like. Uh... Yeah, no, we we were saying because uh, it was a, it was Darth Vader on this T-shirt they were selling. It says I am your father, like something to buy for fathers to wear when they uh, have kids or something. Yeah, of course. And myself and Kenny were joking that they should make a different thing that says I am not the father, and that dudes could wear that on the Maury shirt. There we go. <laughs> says so. Star Wars area right now is. Completely slapped together with Disney being like, we need to make people happy until Star Wars Land opens. And it's it's quite entertaining. Mm-hmm. So that's my pitch for that, and it was a lot of fun. Nice. So moving on to uh, something that isn't about Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, the film we're talking about today is the film by the Daniels called Swiss Army Man. Starring- Daniels! <laughs> starring... Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. Oh, um, if you have not seen any previous works from the Daniels, and you're not alone because they have not really done much in terms of film. This is the first. However, if you want to see uh, what they're all about, go on to YouTube and watch the uh, music video for the video Turn Down for What, and you'll see exactly what the Daniels previously were. Oh, that was them? Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot more sense in retrospect. (laughs) Thanks, Toussaint. Yeah. I I do remember uh, Nick bringing that up to me when we first talked about this movie prior to Sundance, and I was like, oh. Yeah, I was like, because that was when we were picking out the movies, and of course, this was before anybody knew when any of these movies. A lot of people thought this was a serious movie, by the way. And they wouldn't be mistaken from just reading the catalog description and whatnot. But I'm like, you know what? This is. After you had said you wanted to see it, because the premise itself didn't interest me, but once you said you had wanted to see it, then I looked, I'm like. This is that movie by the guys who made that boner music video turned out for what? So let's let's do it. And it, that's actually exactly what it turned yep, out to be. Like not much. in a bad way, but yeah. <laughs> it lived up to that kind of uh, threshold. So this film stars, as I mentioned, Paul Dano, Daniel Radcliffe in a smaller role, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, who we previously saw this year in 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, and it is about a hopeless man who's stranded in the wilderness who befriends a dead body and together they go on a surreal journey to get home you know i had always hoped right before i died my life would flash before my eyes and i would see wonderful things but as i was hanging up there I didn't really see much of anything. But I did see you. This is crazy. I thought you were dead. Am I dead? I don't think so. You're talking. Hi. You're special. You're special. You're like the multi-purpose tool guy. And that's why I need you to help me get home. You want to go home so you can have love. 
But you ran away because nobody loves you. Shut up. You can't just say everything that comes into your head. That's bad talking. Oh. What's happening? Manny, I think your Wang is guiding us home. It's magic. People don't like other people's farts. Is that why you don't fart in front of me? I just like to do it alone. Or hold it in. That's what you're supposed to do. That's so sad. and we danced and it was beautiful. God, no. well, don't, don't be afraid. I think we should start with myself and Tucson as I was the one who originally wanted to see this the most back when me and Nick went to Sundance in January and Tucson is the driving force behind this episode happening because he really wanted to see this yeah, movie this, as well. Yeah, this is... Uh probably one of my most anticipated if not my most anticipated film of the year shit so, yeah. wow. so let's yeah. start off with Toussaint and hear what his feelings are on Swiss Army Man okay so when I first saw the trailer well first one of my friends actually like alerted me to like what this film was supposed to be about and I was like that sounds absolutely fucking insane I can't wait to watch this because I love weird cinema I, I, I love weird films like I I remember watching with Nick uh, Holy Motors that was directed by... Oh, God damn it. Oh, whatever. But I, I'm going to look it up now. I really enjoyed I that happen. film. It was like just because it's like a, a, a mix of different vignettes of this one static character going throughout this life and all this crazy shit happening. And I was like, I like, I like weirder things because I just... I, I don't like going to see mainstream movies all the time, even though I'm on a podcast where I like help review mainstream movies all the time. I was like, I like something different. I was like, let's 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 have a movie about a, a, a stranded guy who like has a a sort of robot homunculus dead man who can turn into a machine gun and whose farts are able to like combust with fire. Like whatever. Like let's just do some weird shit. Um, and as soon as I saw the the trailer for this, I was immediately on board because I I, I thought it looked amazing. It was like I I. I, I literally said that I could go without another superhero film, and that was on, on another topic on its own. But like, I could go with more films like Swiss Army Man than I would with more like superhero films, just because I'm tired of that. I want more original concepts. Which is, in no matter what anyone's feelings are, yeah. no one can debate that this is an extremely original film. Yes, Definitely. and yes. I will say one other thing mm-hmm. is that I actually thought, as someone who got to see it in a festival right. and then see the trailer come second, mm-hmm. uh, I actually thought the trailer was a very good representation of what this movie... Without spoiling right, too right. much. But like, oh, that yeah. is not like a drive, like, you know, like, let's show all the racing cars and not the fact <laughs> right. that nobody talks for a hundred minutes. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, the trailer is actually pretty representative of the film, and I feel like that's almost to its detriment as well because I feel like all of the best scenes in the film are also in the trailer. Um, I, I I really enjoyed um, – I did enjoy Swiss Army Man. 
I just feel like the the biggest detriment to this film, in my opinion, is that it feels like the concept of a music video of a five-minute music video stretched to the length of a feature-length film. And I'm not saying that as a disparagement of music video directors, especially for the Daniels, because, like, I've already talked with Nick about this, like, off uh, off the podcast before, that, like, some of my favorite directors, Spike Jones and Michelle Gondry, are... David music- Fincher. David Fincher. Yeah. Like, they're, like, you can... I, I think, personally, um, I, I love music videos, and I think that music videos represent sort of in the audiovisual space as... They're kind of like the equivalent of short stories in that you are kind of like dropped into the middle of them. You have to pretty much like pick up the entire premise and the universe on itself like while you're doing it. And like you probably don't understand everything or you won't understand everything by the end, but you'll know like the core conceit of it. Um, I just feel like I, I feel like I could have gotten the gist out of this film in in five or ten minutes. It could have mm. it could have been summed up in a short, I think. Um, and I just really didn't see myself really enjoying, like, Paul Dano's arc, if you can even call it an arc. Like, he just goes from just being the suicidal, self-hating person to eventually the lesson of the, of, of the film is just some kind of, it feels kind of trite, where it's just like you have to accept yourself and love yourself and just do whatever you want. I'm just like, that's cool. Like, I've just kind of, like, experienced that from other films as well. Um, and, and another thing that, that kind of like weirded me out about it is like some of the humor, like I don't really, I don't really clue into it. It didn't, didn't really like hit home for me. Like I think Manny, the character is, is hilarious simply because of the fact it's just like this childlike wonder of this character who's trying to like understand the world mm-hmm. who just keeps on asking questions like a child would. Um, there was one scene in particular where it was kind of like the, the crass humor where Manny is like in a ditch and he's looking at this pornographic magazine that Paul Dano's character like has. And it's just like, what's that? And I'm just like, oh, that's that's a lady is like, what's underneath her clothes? It's like boobs and vaginas and butts and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, my God. And it's like, yeah, it's like you have no idea how hard it was to actually find those when I was a kid. It's like before the Internet. Like, every girl was just a little bit more special. I'm just like, ooh. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, uh, you see, here's the funny thing. That was thing. a little tough. That, yeah, that was, that was tough to Especially like, for ooh. a woman to be watching that. Well, I, I was like. I was watching that with my girlfriend, and like I was more like <laughs> torn up about it than she was. She was like, eh, whatever. It was like, fuck See, em. but here's the thing, and, and this is what I'll say, is that I thought that was one of the funniest lines I've heard in the cinema all year. <sighs> which has more probably to say about the cinema this year than about this movie. Yeah. However, I, I, I love that line because I feel like we've finally gotten to the point in cinema where we can have callbacks to previous generation. Mm-hmm. And I was involved in both the current generation and the generation they're referencing. Yeah. And it, Wait, for, what? Wait. No, no, just, <laughs> yes, it was. No, 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 no. I just want to make sure I understand. When you say we're entering an age when we can now, are you saying we as in like us or no, like myself? Oh, like, okay. I, I, I thought you meant like society and cinema. No, like, I, cinema's I, been I, around for a while. No, this I, this I, represents no, no. a film where you're able you. to like pinpoint like a before and after Within our right. lifespan because we're Within yes, we're yes, similar. That, I, guess, I guess that's kind of what I was trying. I just to wanted get to make Sorry. sure. No, no, no. Because no, was, yeah, for sure. Then that makes perfect sense, right? Um, but for me, that was twofold because a, I, I, I got the the reference, but at the, at the same time, I feel like it was funny in a way that I was like, man, like that is such a just 
stab in the heart mm-hmm. to how awful this fucking generation is. It's like, you want to so. have love, but you left because no one loves you because you're a loser. It's like, you can't mm-hmm. say that. That's bad talking. It's like, you won't masturbate because you think about your mom, and that freaks you out. <laughs> I'm just like... Yeah, that was that was really <laughs> fucking weird. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it really hit close to home for Tucson. Shut the <laughs> fuck up. Anyway, good thing you didn't see this movie with your mom. Oh yeah. my god. Uh, anyway, uh, that's oh man, that's a totally another story for another time. Is uh, it? Yeah, there's I went. A, there's I, a story. Yeah, I I went. My the mom, black guy is turning red. No, my, my, my mom and I uh, oh, no. don't don't usually go to see movies a lot okay. together. Like the last film we went to go see, it was a Jungle Book. Like she she works a lot, so she hasn't had a lot of time to be able to go see movies. But now she can. Uh, but before that, one of the one of the few films I remember us going to go see was the thirty year old version, the forty year old version, the forty year old version. Oh, thirty year old version. Man, 40, man 40. what a loser. Uh, no, I mean I mean the film itself. And I'm just like. I was gonna say like out of, out of all films, as far as like the you know the title and rating, like that should have been a clear indicator. I don't know why it, but I also this. realized that you know we all come from completely different backgrounds, yeah, and yeah. completely different familial relations. Whereas like I don't have that problem because I grew up in a culture, shall we say, that I basically force both. It's not just my mom, but yeah. I watch anything and just about everything with both my parents yeah. because I just except for like nymphomania. I was gonna say, like, yes, there is like <laughs> there's a line. There's a, there there is like that very thin line at the top or whatever. Right. But yeah. at a very early age, like once I was watching anything or whatever, I was like just putting everything on and just saying like stop this, giggling this, this is what sex. I'm watching yeah. <laughs> yeah and lecturing my own parents so. right. but I, I can understand why that would be a little uh, yeah that yeah that that was weird. I don't I, I think I blacked out like how we even like got to the situation where we're in the theater I was like Jesus um, but anyway so we're at the show back, the, there's, there's the horse fucking the girl he's uh, really giving it to <laughs> back to the actual topic of Swiss Army Man I was like another thing that I think is a detriment to this and like cluing in back to like it being a five minute or, or at least at, at the most like 10 minute music video extended to a feature length film is that I feel like the score, the film works in service of the score rather than the score working in service to the film where you have like at the beginning with Paul Dano, like, like discovering Manny's body for the first time. And then like the music swells up and then you have his own like alliteration, like, like, into it's like ba 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 ba. It's like why the fuck would that character be doing that? Like it's only to clue into as as an accessory to the actual music itself. And I feel like that that's a a, a temper. Really though, are we are we sure about that? Because we know next to nothing about Paul Dano's character. But why would Paul, why would anyone's character be doing that? Like how is he know. is he aware of the score? Is is he is he able to? I mean, I mean the it fourth is wall? a very twee moment. Yeah, in, yeah. In, in, and uh, and it's yeah. not just singular to that. It happens multiple times throughout the right. actual film in, in tandem with the score. It has a weird yeah. continuity where like yeah. it's not just a one off random meta joke. It, mm-hmm. it becomes right. an actual uh, vehicle for 
propulsion of, of the narrative itself yeah. because that, that's how they get through like their next. Most play. of the story mm-hmm. is is told through montages, and the main theme of this of this movie is called montage, where one of the lyrics is montage. Yeah. No, and uh, what you're saying about the fact that their music video director is not as an insult, but yeah, is I would say more clear in this debut than in all the other sources you cited mm-hmm. not in a bad way but in the way where they are editing around a more like uh, ephemeral like music vibe yeah. and they are alongside the normal conventions of film editing There's, and, and pacing there are, there are music video directors who like one of my favorites like Hiro Marai um, who does a lot of stuff for Childish Gambino he's actually going to be directing the first episode for Atlanta his like new yeah. television show coming out later this year so I'm really psyched about that yeah. um like he's able to create out of wool, like whole cloth, like these these self occupied universes that like are really tantalizing and very bizarre and kind of dark and always kind of like situated on this precipice of like suburbia and like the unknown. It's like I don't, I don't like that. And it's like I think that it's possible to create something that stands on its own as not just a product of like somebody else's like creative product, like music. But I feel like in this case. Um, the Daniels just never like took that next step. Yeah. I feel like being a music video director that should be able to like groom you for at least a, a the ability to make a short film because like you have to take an initial premise and you have to like see it through and and you have to like compact it within a, a finite space. Um, but they just weren't able to to bring it on home. Mary Elizabeth Weinstead's character in this film, and I and I say character very tenuously because she does not exist until like the very end of the film. I was like, yeah. there's something about that that I just like, I don't like the idea of I'm, I'm over stories of like male characters fawning after like female characters who are not present and aren't able to have an agency in the film. And like when she realizes the fucked up shit that's happened like over it, and I was like, I feel for that that woman. Like, what the fuck? Like, Which I, I weirdo think is what the film was going for. Yeah. But if 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 they made the entire movie about that, mm-hmm. then I would. I would say give that a pass, but it was not as much of an inversion to make the trope feel. It feels more sympathetic to Dano's character. Than I was going to say I, that, that like ending, even if they have that moment where it certainly she reacts in a better light than a lot of other, mm. uh, as the term was coined by Nathan Raven of the AV Club, manic pixie dream girl. Like even if her reaction is certainly. Uh, a breath of fresh air in that stale trope, the movie does then kind of go past that and and leave that behind in favor of. But no, this is still Hank's uh, story. And I think we're gonna probably talk a little more about that specific part of the film in, in a little bit. Yeah. But if we all wanted to hit on our initial thoughts, yeah. before yes, of we course. Get to that. Sorry, like that's that's just my initial thoughts. No, we're like, just having the, the Tucson yeah. Egan podcast here. So no, sorry. Like let's let's. Turn it around to like somebody else. To Back like somebody up. else. Yeah. Just like that mythical character from the singer of that band Bush who might or might not be Gavin Rossdale. <laughs> so, anyways, um, I really wanted to see this when we went to go to Sundance earlier this year. Uh, I loved the, the sound of the premise just because it sounded interesting no matter what the film was. Uh, and then we get to Sundance, where this is, without a doubt, one of the most controversial films of the year in terms of... It was the most talked about Talked film about, at, at I guess would be festival. probably better. Yeah. Um, lots of walkouts, yep. especially early on. Walkouts! 
Uh, lots of walkouts early on in the festival because people who were expecting this to be a straight-up serious movie, and they were a little disappointed. <laughs> and we went to go see this uh, at a very early morning screening at Sundance at like 9 a.m. We did? Yeah. Wow. You didn't remember that? <laughs> no. you, were you drunk? <laughs> no, I just, I, I remember our early screening of Dark Knight, but I don't remember this was It wasn't early. like that early. Okay, I okay. think it was an hour and a half later than okay. the Dark Knight screen, but it was still early morning the, yeah. the day we saw it. Now I'm remembering. And we got to see the Daniels talk about this film before we saw it, and then right. afterwards. Because they made us do what uh, every <laughs> middle school theater director makes the kids do uh, before you go do your play. And it was like, no. that? The, that was uh, that? Sam will know what this is. You know, one, two, three, four, oh one, my two, God, three, I four, love one, that two. One. Yes. Okay. They made the whole audience do it because it was so early in the morning that yes. they, before the movie started. I uh, officially really like them. Yes. It was so fun. I was going to say, any theater uh, geek like Sam and I was in uh, high school and middle school. Yep. Well, very much appreciate that. And they also had a terrific Q&A following. In fact, probably my favorite of the entire festival. And there were other ones that probably were like overall better, but I had more fun with their Q&A. They had the best balance of like like having an answer for everything. And giving good, fun stories for their answers, Right, and too. not just making it too dry or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. And uh, also, that was one of the three instances, I believe, where someone shamed the audience by saying it should have got a standing ovation. <laughs> Get the okay. fuck out of here! Like, if you want that, go to cans. <laughs> Wait, who said that? Some guy. There was somebody in like every other screening that we went to, <laughs> where at some point during a Q and A, somebody will stand up to ask their question, and they will use that as a platform to audience shame and say, "Boy, yeah, boy, okay, okay. sit down." Alex, what were you going to say? So, anyways, getting past Sundance and getting to to the actual film. Um, I I remember seeing this the first time and not loving it like one of my favorite movies of all time, but I very much enjoy pretty much every moment of this film, and that continued again this time. Mainly because, A, this is an extremely funny film for me. It really taps into a lot of my humor, which a lot of films recently really haven't gotten to. Mm-hmm. And uh, Well, you didn't see Popstar. Yeah, that would have been a, a different film. I have heard a lot about that from a friend of mine, and apparently he has the entire soundtrack on his Spotify and proceeded to play it while we were going to see a production. I, I love how I, I love the sequentiality of that story of how it started. Like, apparently, I've heard a lot about that, and then we ended up listening to the entire soundtrack. Yeah, I'm yeah. teasing Alex because he hates Andy Samberg and that whole uh, Lonely Island. Yes, uh, but I love it anyway. So I always bring it up when. He brings up his taste and humor. Thanks. Anytime. So anyways, a lot of this is kind of right up my alley uh, in terms of the humor. And also the kind of storytelling that is happening throughout this film with Paul Dano is also right up my alley in terms of that weird monologue-y voiceover storytelling, which gets a little repetitive towards the end of the film, but I think really serves well in terms of talking about the way that humans are throughout the story. But also, um, I find it interesting because he's talking about specific being like a human, but at the end of the day, he's trying to talk about an entire you know, country, basically, yeah. about this is how things are, this is what our culture is, mm-hmm. whatever, and, and this is what you have to be in that. Where more, he's just talking about himself than anything, I, yeah. I feel like. He's projecting. And, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and in addition to the humor, uh, there are two things that I absolutely love about this film. 
Um, a, I love the music behind it that also plays into the rest of the scenes that I that for better or worse, I just like the way it sounds. Yeah. I like the way it meshes with the images I'm seeing on the on the screen. It's poppy. It's a, I I I listen to the soundtrack mm-hmm. like driving through the countryside. It's like it's it's fun. Uh, the second part being that I feel like uh, even more so after the second time seeing it, that this film, whether it be better or worse for it, I think what this film is is showing me about the Daniels and about the, their filmmaking style is that we're seeing two people who are doing things that people like in the 1940s did in terms of having to invent ways to do special effects that aren't necessarily in the constraints that they have where we live in a day and age now where everything is pretty much done with CGI and you pay for computer generated effects for mm-hmm. every single special effect you have where you have a mo- movie that has a lot of large scale set pieces and physical parts that was made for under $3 million. And like this movie has, and I, I think part of it is because we went to Sundance and heard the Daniels talk about specific instances about special effects mm-hmm. And how they did things that sound like the cheapest thing you could possibly think of to do certain things, and it ended up actually looking pretty good. Like uh, Paul Dano's character, um, him creating like this entire like diorama almost of of like what life is like back home, and it's like he basically made all like these different characters and figures. He made like mm-hmm. a cafe and stuff like that. Like, look, you you just saying that kind of like reminded me like what I thought of in the theater is like. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that this is a sum total of like the film's like influences or what. I'm like this is what it's kind of like comparable to. I thought that Swiss Army Man reminded me of Castaway meets Michelle Gondry's Be Kind Rewind, in that they're they're kind of like in, in Be Kind Rewind is like it's, it's just. Yeah, I was like, going to bring up Michelle Gondry. You were? Okay. Yep. Oh wow. Okay. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, it's like Be Kind Rewind is like it has this character like played by most deaf and like this other character where there's. No, it by, played by by Jack Black, Jack Black, Jack Black. where they're reconstructing like films, calling them sweeting like sweeting films, and like doing low budget things. And I saw that like in Swiss Army Man. Well, and and specifically the awesome scene that involves uh, uh, Harry Potter flying through the evergreen yeah, trees and uh, <laughs> just knowing that they pretty much filmed that with him slapping the, the tree back and forth and just replaying it in different ways. And that's how they got that effect. It's just yeah. awesome. So, uh, and as something we'll get into a little more later, uh, in addition to the comedy, another part I loved about this film is, is the ending really, because I really enjoyed the way this film ended. And also too, there's a weird way that I think the message can be portrayed multiple ways. And, whether it be for better or worse. Uh, I'm not really sure how anyone wants to take it. Um, I I take it one way at one viewing, and I took it a different way at the next viewing. So some I want to talk about more uh, a little bit later, but I I really like Swimpus Army Man. And I, even though the first 15 minutes is a little stale, uh, I I think the middle Mm. part of this movie uh, definitely, with the exception of that opening title sequence, which is awesome. That is, uh, <laughs> after that, there's like a whole section in the middle of this movie that I just was laughing hilariously and enjoyed thoroughly the whole way through. And uh, I mean, I guess this is just a way that I view films personally, but if you can have uh, a film that the best part of it is the second act, um, Sometimes for me, that really shows that you're of someone who can make a great film, even if this isn't necessarily a great film. Because 
if you can find a way to make the hardest part of the film to make interesting, interesting, yeah. you you are doing something right. So yeah, that's yeah. my initial thoughts. And whoever wants to take it next can go ahead. I guess I will uh, continue. <clears throat> we, as Alex has mentioned, we saw this at Sundance. When I left that screening, I was not too impressed. I, I didn't hate it. Uh, I didn't, like, it's not like I left it going, wow, that, like, A, like, the fart jokes were stupid or whatever, you know. But it, it just never truly connected with me. But I'm like, you know what? We saw roughly 20 movies in four days. So I'm like, I really don't know that I could, like, differentiate, like, you know, what I think about this movie uh, separated from all the other movies we saw. So I was kind of interested in seeing it again. Now that we've seen it uh, in its own uh, vacuum, I I can I got to say my reaction is one of the same, if not maybe slightly less. I... I think the Daniels, I think this is a great debut film because it shows what the Daniels are good at, mm. um, even if they weren't completely successful in this outing. I, I, it, it's the kind of debut film where even though I really don't care for this movie, like, I want to see every other movie they make. Like That's how much they've announced themselves as, as filmmaking talent. So that in and of itself is exciting to see uh, in the world of cinema and whatnot. But when you get down to grading Swiss Army Man and not the Daniels, uh, it, it's just for everything that works about this movie for me, there's something else that doesn't. Um, it's a movie that I find funny, but mostly in a chuckle-worthy, like just kind of a like a moment. Uh, it, it's the kind of thing where I'm inc- I'm incredibly impressed by the idea that they took a movie that is largely, when it comes to the humor, based in scatological humor, mm-hmm. um, and they took a one-note joke slash premise, and they did two things, which is that the joke itself never got old for me, mm. but the joke wasn't ever hysterical from the beginning it was always <laughs> yeah so it's kind of like that that's why i'm like kind of right down the middle with this movie is that it's not it's not that it, it it's, it's overly or not overly it's not that it's bad it's just that uh it, it it settles into too comfortable of a rhythm because they know what they are good at which uh for me is at least things like uh, editing and pacing and that kind of thing and they kind of i think rely too heavily on those aspects. I mean, this movie is essentially one long music video and uh, montage. I mean, uh, the the pacing... Yeah. Yeah. The the pacing is good if you're into it because it does keep it running and whatnot, but it's also so monotonous that by the end, um, so many things that feel fresh felt stale because we were seeing the same thing, whether it would be the the, the, the weird use of like uh, calling into question diegetic music and yeah, that kind of thing. Right. And So by the end of it, I just wasn't a big fan. And the thing that ultimately, I would say, kept me at the distance, like if this was just a comedy, I probably would give it a positive rating. Not... An overly positive rating, but a, a bare minimum positive rating. But because this movie continually goes out of its way to tie it to some grander purpose and theme. A drama. Yeah, that I don't think it's nearly equipped to handle as well it is, as, as it is its comedy uh, mm-hmm. aspect. Uh, because of that, uh, it, it just saddles it too far down for me to really get on board with it. 
the the interplay between Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe is very funny, but every time Paul Dano has to grapple with some kind of real world truth and you know on uh relationships or uh i mean this is a movie that is essentially about uh, well it's about a lot of things and that's kind of another problem mm-hmm. but one major theme uh is the idea that the, like just the human body in general and how we're ashamed of it in some ways and which makes no sense because most of the things we're ashamed of are like the most natural things that you know come to human beings and and as people who have talked to me before may describe me as like abrasive because I have no really yeah, I have no problem you're abrasive maybe yeah. and I because I have no problem saying certain things that I think people like would think twice before admitting Probably. that they just masturbated before they met up with somebody or whatever. Thank you. Thank you. That was half a joke. But <laughs> but no, but like it's it's like this movie like when you consider the themes of this movie, this like genuinely should have been something that I should have been all on board mm-hmm. for because that's like the central thesis of this movie. But because I never got past the fact that it felt a little uh like st- <laughs> like the stoner's ideology of like Lucy, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, for more philosophical themes instead of scientific. Uh, but because I think Lucy is good because it's dumb. <laughs> yeah. The the opposite is here. I think this is bad because it's dumb. And you know, um, so because it doesn't really have the the audacity to back up these uh, just larger than life that ideal that I, I believe in and all that. Um, it, it just, it's mired by too many indie tropes that just felt a little stale by the end. And gotcha. the last thing I'll mention is that I'm also of the camp that, um, and that's, we're going to get into it even more specifically, but that the ending is also the, one of the biggest missteps of the film. Mm. So we can get into that later, but yeah. Yeah. well, let's hear from Sam uh, and, and her, her, hear her, her, her. Wow. <laughs> Here, fucking, yeah, fucking Nelly over here. Uh, so we'll hear what she has to say, and then we can just start talking because it seems like everyone wants to hit on the the ending of this film. So, well, Sam, what did you uh, what did you think overall about? So I heard a lot of laughter in the movie theater. So I I will actually bring up that ending first. Oh, um, just because I. I appreciate things that have like multiple endings or they can be taken in like multiple perspectives and things like that. Um, but to me, it, this was almost kind of like, um, it made me think of like Shakespeare's mystery plays or like the, the final plays, especially like, I don't know why, but like measure for measure where there were like some scenes that really fit together and you could understand where everything was going but then after a while you kind of kept like glancing at the watch of being like okay well how long is this gonna take like exactly two minutes for a montage (laughs) (laughs) um and that sort of like even that sort of like i guess ending to it too like i again to compare it to like shakespearean plays um of that sort of like well you can take it this way if you look at it in this light and i think Maybe if I watch it a few more times just for like sitting and not like interacting or things like that, or like even if I interact with people um, about it, I know originally I did actually want to see this movie. Um, uh, One of my best friends had mentioned it um, and he was so like, oh my gosh, you know, do you want to go see like Swiss Army Man? And 
unfortunately, we didn't get enough time to like go see it or anything because he ended up leaving to have fun in Germany. Um, and you had to see it with two weird people. <laughs> you guys aren't that weird, okay? Um, <laughs> well, and you have a friend that's having fun in Germany, which is good right. because yeah. you know, not a lot of that's been had in history. So that's cool. Oh, <laughs> he's, damn. He's blonde and blue-eyed, okay? He fits in. I have two ends. I have <laughs> He'll two be ends. okay. I have two ends at the end of my last name, so I know oh. German. Mm, this is true. Wow. <laughs> All right. Oh please, please continue anyway, on. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Kyle. But <laughs> wow, this has been a um, great episode for Nicholas. Man. He's had a couple awesome drops. I said hi. Yeah, <laughs> he's in rare form today. It's yes, been, Sam. It's been good. Anyway, um, overall, though, I thought. I mean, I usually take things. Usually, I have to watch films probably like two or three times um, because the first thing that I look at is visuals. Um, I'm a very visual learner to begin with, and then to just watch movies. If it's not visually stimulating, it's not. I, I'm easily turned away by it. Um, so things like like this, um, it was very interesting to see. Like especially like the opening credits. Like I, I think Alex had mentioned, um, and even Nick several times about it. Um, the the smash title of Swiss Army Man is like the high yeah. point of this movie. That's the key I was stone. Say, that's the most I enjoyed. The movie. <laughs> that's the keystone of the trailer. Yeah. Like, I, unfortunately, I, I was going to say that was the other thing. I was yeah. hoping they were going to leave that out and and come with a different and title I, card. But, I, don't, yeah. I don't think I ever smile or laugh as much as Paul Dano raising his arm and his huge smile yeah. as he's riding Harry Potter as a fucking wave runner <laughs> through the ocean. Yeah. So yeah. I. I think, and, <laughs> and I think Alex pointed this out about like me laughing throughout the, the movie every now and then is, um, I, I have different types of humor that I, that I liken to, um, there's that like really terrible esoteric humor where it's like that really like those comments that are made and I feel terrible because I'm the only person laughing in the room. <laughs> like, um, like the joke in Iron Man two where like, uh. The, the Iron one, Man two, uh, no, wow. yeah, and Iron, yeah, and Iron Man two, like where where, where is like, this going? The ma- the the main bad guys, like I can't remember. His I've name. been Whiplash, not not Whiplash. Um, who else is there? The uh, the the other the other weapons guy who is like a rival of of Tony Stark, and he's like, yeah, this this missile is so smart, it could write Ulysses, it can write a book that makes Ulysses like look like it was written in crayon, and then read it back to you. I thought that was hilarious, <laughs> and nobody else clued into funny. that. Yeah. But things like that. Yeah. But then at the other like up at the other end of the spectrum, I you know, I guess I can also throw in like British humor in there, where it's right. kind of like nonsensical, and you're like, this doesn't make sense, but I'm still laughing. Um, but at the complete other like end of the spectrum, from like that esoteric humor, it's like the five year old boy, the crisis like, humor. You know, like I mean, I. I tutor small children, and sometimes, like, they make these comments, and I'm like, I'm the adult. I can't laugh at that, but that was really good. Yeah. That was a really, This very like, old book, the Bible. <laughs> oh. <laughs> there were some really good, like, one-liner zingers, and, and, and just, I think, the sheer fact of just, I mean... The, Farts never get old to me. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Like, as long as I will live, it's still, like, I mean... It's hilarious to me. And the sole fact that this thing was that like Daniel Radcliffe's being essentially in this um, in this movie was powered by that. And and what I initially thought was that um, it was very interesting, like even though that's not exactly what he's powered on. um, 
He's a fucking water filter. He's a jet ski. He's a he's a homing device he's with axe, his with his know? boner. He's an axe. He's a machine gun. He's and if you were to hear the uh, Q and A that myself and Nick saw at Sundance, uh, they talked about the one thing they wanted to do with him that they didn't have nearly enough budget to do mm-hmm. was to turn him into almost like a um, violet Beauregard from... Oh, man. That uh, would have been great. And Willy just, Wonka. Yeah, he would just <laughs> blow up and be a raft for yes. Paul Dano's character to ride through the water. So, Wow. Oh, <laughs> I, that would have yeah. made it so much better. <laughs> Continue, and, Sam. And, off of that... Money um, trumps all. <laughs> Um, I, I definitely agree that, um, I think like how Nick had put it, um, there, the things that I really enjoyed in comparison to that were, there were some things that I really just wasn't a fan of. Um, so for every good thing, there was kind of a, a so-so or kind of not necessarily a negative thing, um, but kind of a like, eh, I guess, whatever. Um, and, and I think one of those, um, while it was like visually stunning to watch and everything, um, it did kind of bother me at points uh, just when, I mean, the the plot itself to me is also a major standout point that needs to have something to keep going from. And after a while, it was getting a little bit stale to me um, while the humor is still good and things like that where like those pockets were, were still really nice to hear. But just after a while, I kept, you know, wondering when... When is this going to move forward? When are we going places? What what are we doing? Um, and and I think for that that for me was probably like it, its biggest downfall um, was that story element, I guess you could call it. Because um, yes, I understand like what ultimately is trying to be achieved with the film, but at the same time, it just it felt like it was constantly on the brink of getting there, but it never actually got there. Mm. And to me, that that was kind of dissatisfying. Um, even though, I mean, I would still watch this movie again, most likely. And I would, you know, I'm, I would enjoy it. Um, but it's, that sort of like, I'm not going to go back and watch it and be like, Oh man, this is the best film ever. Like every single time. I don't, I don't feel like I'm going to come back to this film and discover something earth shattering. I don't feel right. like I'm, I'm going to return. It's, it's not really I, there. I, I know right. it's, exactly. There's not really a lot there. Um, I, I think it's, it's pretty much what it is on its face. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of really great scenes and uh, I, I know, no, I'm kind of like hinging on this a lot of like the montages, like, but like, it feels like all the forward motion of these characters, like navigating this space, like Paul Dano and like Daniel Radcliffe's char- character of Manny navigating like this, this, supposedly abandoned area and like trying to like get back to civilization it all that forward action is conveyed through montages yeah. it's all compressing that and then like they they go into their little like talking like monologue like like back and forth thing yeah. so but but the montages the, the interesting thing is without a doubt the best part of the movie yes for it me is it's yeah. montage is, is, the movie. Is, is the montage <laughs> where we see all of the tentpole moments with with Daniel Radcliffe yes. being used yeah. as, as an axe we spend more time pontificating than we do in in the, in the montages and which is that draws big, more attention to those yeah. to those aspects and i think that's as far as why some people might not let which yeah it, something i mentioned to you nick when we walked out of the theater and something i've been thinking about for the past two weeks now is that uh even though you may not agree with me or other people may not agree with me when i said last week at the end of the neon demon episode that i feel like swiss army man is very much of the same 
ilk F is the Neon Demon, even though it's a very different movie yeah. and, a, and a different genre and a, and a different kind of film, for sure. Um, I feel like that a lot of people latch on to kind of the humor and the way that this film is made, much like they do with Nicholas Lining Reffin films, and specifically the Neon Demon. And I don't think there's a really wrong answer with somebody saying, I loved or I hated the Neon Demon, much like there's not a wrong answer with saying, I didn't like So Sorry Man, or I loved it. Because if you if you look at an interesting sort of weird spot in cinema with these two films, as we've done them back to back, there are a lot of people who just didn't care for Swiss Army Man, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of people that absolutely loved it. If you, if you read reviews and, and look at other people's perspectives where you have pretty much the same thing happening with the Neon Demon. Yeah, although I do want to... <clears throat> Excuse me. I do want to make it clear that uh, there's a difference between somebody walking out of the movie because they can't stand farts (laughs) and somebody who watches the entire movie. uh, And I'm not saying you're saying that like that. But and just someone who thinks that the mechanics aren't all up to, you know, uh, grade. Um, I guess we should probably talk about the ending. Let's do it. Let's do it. Do, 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 Um, Do you mind if I go for it? Lead off or did you want to start? It seems like you wanted to. Yeah, you can lead off. You sure? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh boy, I'd had to. <laughs> so the reason why I enjoy the ending enjoyed the ending more than I did the first time because the first time I felt pretty much the same way as you guys did about the ending that it was kind of silly. It also seemed to try to sort of bring this positive light to this creepy stalker character that is Paul Dano throughout this film. Manny was real. He was real. And that means that it validates his actions. Yeah. Uh, that That is certainly, actually, though, something that you could take away from this film and yeah. say, hey, we're, we're just saying, oh, you know what, this character who is uh, honestly just a creepy stalker person is doing this, mm-hmm. and we should now... We should believe him and and just you know whatever because he's been telling the truth the whole time and look he he's always right. But at the same time, this movie has a lot more to say uh, about other people than it does about Paul Dano for mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. specifically because um, I think this movie has a lot more to say in the the deeper part of the film than just the Mary Elizabeth Weinstead Paul Dano relationship, which no matter what way you look at it is not good for Hank's character. Like he is honestly a not great person for creepily looking at her photo. He has her on the cover of his phone, which is really scary. Which that is a, to me. Yeah. He took really that photo. Terrifying. Yes. Could send him yes. without her knowing. Like, and yeah. he fo- follows her on Instagram, even though she doesn't know who he is. Like th- those, th- there's, yeah, can th- I ask a weird question? Really? Sure. Quick? So he follows her on Instagram, which means he must know her name. But there's that whole scene where he has to ask yeah, it's a weird Manny. His, and right. I get that certainly an interpretation of mm-hmm. this movie could be that Manny just a dead corpse. That he is, you know, he he's it's just his inner thoughts. But it's such a weird scene when you've seen the entire movie and, and, and he's questioning Manny to think of her name. And I, I don't know. It's just it's one of those weird well, jumps but- what I wanted to get at more than talking about yeah. that, because the the relationship between him and Mary Elizabeth Weinstead, in terms of this being a film with a message, for me, there is really no good answer to that. Like, he is 
this this is not a great message between that no matter what way you slice it and i can't even really think of a way to defend it she's the green light at the other end of the harbor okay <laughs> yep. whoa. Yeah, whoa. thank you thank you f scott <laughs> but she does have a couple great lines at the end where she's like what the fuck is this like that that was a that was a cutting moment for me when she looks at the phone be like what the fuck is this like it that's yeah. legit like oh my god i have a stalker and he is this person that i just saved in my backyard yeah. but at the end of the film, uh, I think this film says so much about whether it be people who are loners or people who are uh, depressed or anything like that, that everybody, no matter who it is, whether it be the media, whether it be parents, whether it be friends, the general consensus is that people don't care about something until A, there's a suicide attempt, or B, until they show you something that is eye-catching, which is what happens at the end of this film with mm-hmm. Manny floating away. And we we see so many different things, whether it's the news reporter, who I know Nick had a good laugh at it, when because mm-hmm. I didn't even catch it the first time, but the news reporter, who gives a very interesting look. I can't even find a good way to describe it, the way she looks. We have the cameraman, who immediately pulls up the camera. We have the father dropping his knees and smiling as he sees this other character floating away. And we still get Mary Elizabeth Weinstead saying, what the fuck, because yeah. this is bullshit. Right. But... It's such an interesting end of this film to me, uh, not necessarily good or bad or otherwise, but at least it's got me thinking about it because the end of this film is pretty much showing that here we have this character who has been led to do whatever, whether he actually did float away on a boat, whether he did try to commit suicide, where he ever made it to an island, mm-hmm. we'll never know because there is very little that's ever said about mm-hmm. Hank's actual character that isn't just him saying things that could or could not be real. But the ending of this film and, and the final moment of it is something that I completely loved because I love this idea of all these people being captivated in this final event that surrounds him. And yet they appears that nobody ever even – even his father never really had a moment where he tried to ask what's going on with you or why do you feel this way or anything like that. So – the, the ending moment is really what was able to get me involved in liking the finale of this film, even though there were definitely problems with it still for me. I um, I didn't like the ending of this film because I felt like it was kind of an extension of the the sort of sort of climax moment of the film where like uh, Hank, that's Paul Daniels' yeah. character, is like mm-hmm. he he's in the 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 ambulance or whatever, right? He's like in like nearby. Mary Elizabeth Weinstead's house and stuff, and it kind of like circles around, and like we see like there's a there's a dead body, like there's Manny's body, and the 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 reporter addresses uh, Hank as Manny for some reason, and mm-hmm. it's just like I guess there was some like some confusion with that. So, no, I I don't think I, for me there's not confusion. Yeah. It it was there, it was specifically meant to try to confuse the it, audience. It was it was deliberately meant to confuse the audience, well, and, I, yeah. and I felt like the way that that was portrayed is like. Was this all just a fabrication of his mind? Is he actually Manny? He's like, no, he's not Manny. I'm just like, wait, is Hank real or not? And it's like, and if Hank is real, yeah. what the fuck is Hank? And I feel like that. I just took it as they skipped the scene in which he said that he was Manny, and like, uh, like that that he just uh, gave that information to the okay. police because we see him clearly trying to uh, run around his father. Mm-hmm. And so if he's not doing that kind of action, then I don't see how any other interpretation really, I don't know. It's, it's such a bizarre way to convey that. Uh, be- because like earlier on in this film, um, there's at least like two, like 
there's two instances where where the idea is posited that like Manny might be a fabrication of mm-hmm. of, of Hank's mind. It's just like, look, either you're alive or I'm hallucinating from starfish or whatever. And then Manny himself is just like, maybe I'm just a fabrication of your mind because blah 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 blah. Yeah. And and it's just like, wait, is is this guy? Wait, is he really a fabrication? Are you are you or... real or are you not? And it's like, and if you are real, what the fuck are you? And there's are you just... human or are you dancer? This motherfucker right here. Anyway, um, anyway, mm-hmm. any, anyway, it's just like the, the the concept of of mania is just like this is supposed to be this magical realist like like movie where it's just like it's supposed to be a comedy. Is like really it doesn't matter whether or not Manny was real or not. It's like it doesn't matter where he comes from. And it's like, I feel like that's really something that's a draw from the Daniels uh, music video. Like experience, like they don't have to explain everything, but I would have liked to have like at least multiple multiple explanations as to what the fuck this Brita filter man is. Here's okay. Here's what you're saying though. They don't have to explain anything, and I agree with you. But that's why the ending doesn't work for me because Mm -hmm. they explain too much for Mm -hmm. me. Like okay, we we have a whole movie where for the almost for for the majority of the running time we have. A very fantastical situation in which uh, the characters involved in the situation give voice to the popular opinion, which is that he could very well just be imagining that this is happening. You right. Know, whatever. Like that's like this is too fantastic to happen. Right. Like what we're seeing are the images of an actual fantasy being lived out, and yet the voices we're hearing are like, but you know, the real. The real whateveristic side of this whole thing is that maybe this is just in your starved suicidal mind or whatever. Okay, so that creates a, a, a level of ambiguity for the audience to propel themselves throughout the whole narrative. Why this ending doesn't work for myself is because by the time we get to the end, okay, the minute – uh, Paul Dano emerges, so to speak, from from the woods uh, and lands very coincidentally in Mary Elizabeth Weinstead's backyard. Uh, and it's not that I'm like picking apart like plot hole wise, like yeah. whoa, if if he was on this island or something. But it, it's just so weirdly contrived that maybe this guy spent... probably hated Homeward Bound. Yeah, maybe he's just been there the whole time. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. So then he's even a creepier stalker because yes! then he went to that location. I, I, but... I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I want to make clear that no part of me no, saying no, I right, like right. this is I'm ever trying to defend Paul Dano in that part of it no, because. No, no. That he he is a creepy stalker. Like, he is indefensibly no to, a stalker. Yes, yes that, that is exactly what his character is. But it's 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 up that moment when he comes through the woods and gets into the backyard that the Daniels are their I would say their poor first time screenwriting tendency show because when they took a very common but I would say usable and uh, reliable indie trope, which is the kind of ambig- ambiguity between uh, twee fantasy and, and reality. Uh, uh, marriage works. But the minute he emerges, we're entered into a reality that continues to bend by the will of the screenwriter instead of any uh, logical sense of either dream logic or reality logic. Because 
once he emerges, we we're now in a more dour film. You know, uh, Mary Elizabeth Weinstein comes out. She's creeped out. Well, before that, though, um, there's the daughter that's there and present. And when we see uh, Manny do his handiwork in front of the daughter, it makes everything ten times creepier. And yes, whatnot. like it's not just like society; it's a child. You no, know? and and we get the and, very awkward scene, and then Paul Dano slaps away Manny's boner. Because... Right, and and he even tries to console him, saying it's not that you know is inappropriate but it, she doesn't understand whatever. I'm disgusted <laughs> um, but we go from that to a, a much more dour ending at that moment where uh, all these things happen and, and for me at least my interpretation is that um, he explicitly even though we don't see it on the screen but he explicitly in between scenes told the police that he was one and that the other the body was the, him and um, because he wanted to start a new life so to speak that's how I took it at least could but be whether that's happened whatever but let's just go with this for a second sure um, and then we live out that fantasy up until the moment he decides not to because then he just stands in front of his father and that gets blown to pieces and he goes back to uh the corpse to uh, what's his name Manny mm-hmm. to take him to the river the lake whatever ocean whatever okay it's from that moment on that we we go through too many turns uh, of logic for me to fully buy into a cohesive whole of an ending because he takes the body and then we he takes it into the woods and it's in that moment that we see that everything he's been doing in the movie has been happening mm-hmm. in the woods and not just has been happening but has been happening in both a reality that looks starkly close to the one that we've been following the entire time. Like, it's not like, it, you know, like those dioramas and everything like he was making and all that kind of stuff. But it was also that the, the geographical location was weirdly more skewed than we believed because it apparently was... Which just, I think was on purpose. No, no, right, right. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, we're, we're treated to this huge revelation, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Okay. Then we... We we go past that to him needing Manny to prove himself uh, to to the rest of the society or whatever and and farting whatever. So I I don't I don't understand the dichotomy between those two revelations between going out of out of the movie's way to show the audience a stark reality only to be followed by the most fantastical ending you could have. And I'm not saying that that, that final scene of him farting off into the ocean um, like can't be read into a myriad of different ways. I'm not trying to say that it has some kind of definitive uh, interpretation and anybody else who sees it a different way is whatever. But I just feel like the tone and the purpose of those two scenes as seated right next to each other completely cancel each other out into meaninglessness. And that totally is is definitely an interpretation that is completely valid and and one that I pretty much had the first time I saw it. And even though I feel a slightly different way this time, I feel like the the ending is is interesting for me, even if it isn't what I'm thinking it is, and even I just want to put stock into what I saw at this particular viewing. This film is has a very weird way, and maybe that is a reason why I latch on to it so much, is because it is a fresh, like, this is a very uh, original film, for better or for worse. There are parts of it that are original that are not good at all, and there are parts that are original that are like, holy shit, like, I would have never thought of that, but I'm glad these two guys did. Yeah. Uh, but we have this ending that is is weirdly 
ambiguous but yet extremely concrete and it's 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 bizarre in, in the way that it, that it, that it works in in the finale and that doesn't mean that it's good it just means that it's weird and is is just kind of there and again it's I, only I, ambiguous in the way it makes us question what we're seeing mm-hmm. because we're not used to it but i feel like the ending is like you say pretty concrete in the sense. it is but it is it's it's ambiguous as to like in what, what but it, okay. into exactly a what it's trying to say specifically about the characters not necessarily about its message All right and 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 at the same time we we have Paul Dano's character who I've mentioned a couple times we basically know nothing about in, in this film and the only thing that we've found out about him is from his word or Manny's word and we already know he's an extremely unreliable narrator so anything that he said can be completely just thrown away in my opinion so here's a character that we really know nothing about other than the sort of projections we've been given by other people, whether it be his father or the media or the girl he's been stalking for however long it's been. And and we get this ending, which really is fantastical and there's really no other way to look at it. And it it just it's it's so clear of exactly what this ending is in terms of a view as an audience and, and what the ending of the physical film is. But I say it's ambiguous because we, we, we know nothing about what the the after is like where where do we go from here as as a person where do you or, go after you see a corpse fart itself back into the ocean well see it <laughs> but but where, where does where do any of these characters go from here like mary elizabeth Winesett's character now like oh i had this stalker who uh, is my stalker, and he's been stalking me for this whole time. But no one's going to give a shit about that because Harry Potter just went fucking furrying away into the ocean. Like, it, it's. I'm not saying that it, it is necessarily a story that's ambiguous or a story that has a concrete ending, but it at least is trying to give you something that is a little bit different, in my opinion. And it was and, and, and tantalizing I in, yeah. in mm-hmm. like understanding of like where do we move from this point? Like mm-hmm. I, I could see I could see where you're you're coming from with that, especially with the nature of the fact that it was, um, in a lot of ways, like off of Paul Dano's face, off of Hank's face, it then smash cut to like a small little title card of the end. Um, which I thought was usually I'm I'm a really big fan of like hard stops for films like just because I feel like they they act as ex- exclamation points uh, yeah. for for a very raw moment I don't know if it really worked for me in that because I felt like it was sort of just like the end it's it's over hey we tied it up in a little bow it's ending bye um, but I I I, I really didn't enjoy. The ending, personally, just because I think that the the conceit of like, oh wow, it's like Manny was real all along. It's like you just threw in a bunch of fucking red herrings to kind of like throw me off of the 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 what what any other person would assume to to, to be like this character who was way too fantastical to even be real. It's like there's there's some type of reality to this, and I'm just like, mm, I don't. It just didn't work for me. It's just, yeah, I definitely agree that it it doesn't work um, for me at least. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of interesting because I, I mean, I very much enjoy like um, theater of the absurd, where right. there's that sort of you know it's it's a very cyclical plot, um, or there's something that you know it really doesn't make sense. You don't get a lot of background information about these people and things like that, and um, which I mean I, I like that sort of stuff, but at the same time I just there was something 
that and, and I still like even after like ruminating about like everything about watching it too I just can't put my finger on like why it, it bothered me um that just the ending and I mean I think it might have something to do with the fact that like you kind of and it's probably the only way I can ever like explain it is that like this corpse and this stalker like end up like fucking up everybody's lives and then all of a sudden the corpse just farts off into the ocean and the stalker's there like okay so end I mean, there we go like you're literally t- saying what the literal like translation well, of this plot is and, and, and the interesting and that doesn't point make sense to me the interesting point too about what you're saying is that now Paul Dano's character is basically going to have like a book deal and they agree because he has this whole story about I know the the farting corpse, yeah. so and I have a whole thing about it. You know what's the most unbelievable thing to me besides the farting corpse? The, the entire movie. Well, not just the entire movie. Like one one part that just like that people me. still send e cards in 2016. <laughs> you know that was really weird too. I don't. I've never. Wow. I've never. Anyway, does he uh, have an the AOL era of too? the era of jib jab is over, my friends. Yeah, what? like what? one thing that like kind of irked me is like maybe this is like a consequence of like some of the be kind rewind elements, and I was just like, how long was he out there? Like because like you compress you compress time, you compress time in order to like have him create like these this sort of diorama of like normal life, what it was like like to not be stranded. And I was just like, how long did he go scavenging for like scraps and shit, and then like find all this fucking string? Well, all I this think... convenient string to like make this this diorama from like that that was kind of unbelievable to me. I know like it's such a small thing, but it's just like yeah. you think about it, I'm just like montages are meant to compress space and time. But then, how much time has he actually spent like doing this stuff? That ending makes you think about it. Yeah, and that's the biggest downfall of it is yeah. that if 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 it was just this current of fantasy and ambiguity it's, this is it's all the, real then how it's the fact that the ending makes me think more about how this actually happened than about the value of the experience and, and that's the ultimate failure of why i which I, I, I'm, I'm not for, a fan of it from what i remember from the again i bring it up the the daniel's q a which pretty much was exactly what they were going for here oh and that's and that's what i mean like it's if that's what they were going for then, then that's, that's, that's sad but uh <laughs> No, but uh, one thing I want to mention because I mentioned it much earlier, but then never actually mentioned was uh, Michelle Gondry. Mm-hmm. This is the Daniels are clearly in, influenced by Michelle Gondry, but like Michelle Gondry, they need to find their uh, Charlie Kaufman to write their scripts for them. Mm-hmm. They are immensely talented filmmakers who need to find their absurdist muse to speak their words for them. They mm-hmm. they 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 need to uh, marry their style and their uh, sense of editing and pace and and yeah absurdity and hilarity the visuals are great yeah they are and, and they know how to make a movie but uh michelle gondry's movies the ones that he wrote and directed have always felt like subpar versions of the ones that he simply directed somebody else especially Charles kaufman uh well like he he wrote and directed his own movies like be kind rewind and the science of sleep which are movies that mm-hmm. get too far away from uh the core of what yes made his uh, appeal. but like eternal sunshine of Spotless Mind is one of the greatest movies of all time, that's and that's good. a movie that he only directed because he directed uh, Charlie Kaufman's script. So, I think if like they could literally be the next Spike Jones or something like that, in the sense that if they find their Charlie Kaufman, because Spike mm. Jones also directed yeah. all the other uh, 
uh, Charlie Kaufman scripts like being John Malkovich and Adaptation. So yeah. I'm just – as much as I'm very much looking forward to the next movie they make, I really hope they find somebody else's script. Like go, go on the blacklist. Uh, find somebody's script who's been you know tossed around for years that nobody will make and, and, and let's see them make that because I think they could honestly – do something amazing with it. Uh, I just, I'm not entirely convinced by their storytelling abilities. That being said, do you want to go straight into your, your yeah. rating for yeah. Swazari Man? I should. Sure. So that's pretty much my, my general <laughs> thoughts in general. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a movie that for everything that works, uh, there's something that doesn't. And I, I do enjoy it as a comedy. I just get a little perturbed by it as a drama. And if the Daniels had a little more nuance uh, in their pontificating uh i would probably dig it a little more than i do but unfortunately it's it's merely a pass for me so it's a two and a half out of five because i it's not that i'm against this movie but it does so much that keeps me becoming a fan of it so two and a half out of five for me for sure i'll I'll go next i guess Um, i for the most part really enjoyed this movie Uh, both times i saw it i think the first time i saw it i was more intrigued than anything to to go into it and I just absolutely enjoy this movie from start to finish. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's a great film for me, even though I give it a really good rating. Uh, it's just a film that I thoroughly enjoyed from start to finish, which is really all I can ask from from a film, especially these days when I'm I'm looking for something to entertain me. And at the same time, I, I appreciate something that, even if it has a lot of misses, which this film definitely does have misses in it, if it has things that can keep me intrigued and also pique my interest throughout uh, whether it be interesting special effects or funny jokes that are my kind of humor which this film has a lot of that and characters too that can be interesting throughout even if some of the storylines are not the greatest and have some parts of them that are just honestly offensive Uh, this film has (laughs) this film has all of that and it is not perfect by any stretch but still uh, it's an hour and 34 minute movie that maybe is even too long but at the same time at least it isn't just an opus that continues to go on that you just wish would be over so for me it's a it's a four out of five and i i really enjoyed it and um i'm, I'm really interested to see what their next film is going to be because i i think they like you were saying nick have a chance to do really great things with films they just need to need to find uh, the right place for them yeah, just not. Were you gonna say something? Real quick? Yeah, I was. I wanted to clue in. Is like you mentioned, like the the one bit of inappropriate humor, which is what I I kind of like clued in with my initial impressions. That line about like before the internet, like every girl was just a little more special. It's like I want to say that at least I think that that th- that line in particular is meant to be indicative of Hank, the character, more so than the actual directors themselves. <laughs> I don't feel. I I don't feel like the. Uh, the film itself is is necessarily misogynistic or just like sexist in that way. I feel like it's more of just like Hank's unknowing like, well, like we're also, sensibilities that kind of like clue into that. We're also talking yeah. about a character who we basically find out is a depressed loner who yeah. may, maybe who doesn't have the girl on the bus. I was gonna say so, maybe yeah. doesn't already have the highest feeling on women or right. highest respect for them. On so himself, yeah, so yeah. I I think that uh, well since. Like I kind of cut in line a little bit. It's like I, 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 I was, <laughs> I was, <laughs> <Thank> I was <laughs> really looking forward to this film. Um, it's not what I wanted it to be, and now I kind of question what I actually wanted this film to be. As I think I was looking for more of like a straight absurdist comedy, and like 
uh, Nick Clank kind of clued into is like when it's like trying to inject like this drama into it. I feel like that kind of like stunts it a little bit for me. Um, I I feel like I would look forward to another Daniels film. And even if I didn't particularly clue into or really enjoy the entirety of this film, I will say on principle, I would take more films in the vein and the spirit of Swiss Army Man than I would another fucking Marvel Cinematic Universe film. Or just another sequel. Or another sequel or another unnecessary decade protracted sequel or an anime adaptation from people who don't understand what the fuck they're adapting. I would rather take original films like this that actually are willing to fall on their face or try. Speaking of that, I I saw that the filmmakers of Ghost in the Shell have doubled down on themselves. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) For another day. Please continue. (laughs) Look. If if film tank goes on long enough where where we're actually going to be reviewing the Ghost in the Shell film, like, you're not ready. It's an international (laughs) film, man. (laughs) Boy! (laughs) It's like... Like you're talking to me, like I'm the I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to oh my general. God. <laughs> anyway, um, I got fucking so, foghorn so, leghorn over there, boy. You better, you so, better stop, uh, so, boy. I said, boy, boy. It's like anyway. Um, I'm that g- traveling. He's done. Oh god, sound. yeah. Uh, I'm gonna give a Swiss Army Man uh, two and a half out of five, but I would definitely recommend this film. It's like, go see it. It's. Yeah. It's it's visually entertaining. It's it's visually fun. If if the content is a little bit marred by the fact that it tries to be more than than it, it possibly can be, so yeah. On top of that, um, I there's a lot to it, um, and I think that's why I actually appreciate it for what it is. And at the same time, I think it's almost overwhelming. Um, all the different things that it has to, to bring to the table. I mean, I do have to say that one of its selling points to me was um, the sole fact that it is fresh. It's, it's something that is, you know, you haven't seen it 12 million times. Um, and, and especially like the sort of, even with all the montages in it and hidden, um, and the fact that like, I had no idea until Toussaint had showed me um, that like the montage song literally has like the lyrics are montage and pop, popcorn pop, pop, and popcorn. like that sort of like that originality really gives it a bump up for me um even if maybe some of the characters aren't necessarily the strongest by like writing standards mm-hmm. um or things like that um and i think the ending was also one of those um was kind of one of those detractors i guess um and that sort of i mean yeah, I I get what you're trying to get at, but you could have it could have been it could have been done better in my eyes. Um I think it could have been um not necessarily clearer, but it could have been done in in a format that still leaves that sort of air to it, but as well as um being able to kind of tie up the pieces in a way that maybe still leaves it vague enough, but also like beautiful enough to the point where you can you can enjoy it for that like randomness. you can enjoy it on multiple levels yeah. other than like it's it's not a hard line abstract or literal thing or exactly. just like there is a, a literal it's floating there there's an yes it's floating <laughs> just like just like manny's ass when he's like going to the ocean um like there's the the abstract um aspect of it of just like saying it's just like you know it's like this is something to ponder on and just like the yeah. central question of it versus the literal of like 
This is literally what's happening on screen. So, yeah. You know. um, and, I mean, other than that, um, visually, it's very beautiful. And I would love to see, like all of you have said, um, I would love to see more work by them, mm-hmm. um, especially like film length stuff um, or feature length um, versus, you know, just assuming that maybe if they do like nick said if they find somebody who's a better writer for them um well we we see people who are have been mentioned previously that mm-hmm. are have been great music video directors i mean david fincher never does any original work at all i was gonna say it's very rare yeah um, yeah. yeah and most of his best works are adaptations absolutely yep. mm-hmm. so he uh, knows what he's good at and i'm and that's yeah. not a detriment to his ability is like oh, the no. fact that he's he's able to bring out so much out of pre-existing material says yeah. something about his yeah. his directorial style yeah. and in, i guess in that case um i think once the daniels really find their niche mm-hmm. um i think that they can produce some really stunning film um so um i have to give it a three out of five okay. um just for everything that it was worth pros based against cons um, as well as just, you know, cinematically, character-wise, um, montage-wise, <laughs> um, and, and that sort of, I guess, characteristics to it. Yeah. Yeah, Swiss Army Man is an interesting film that I'm definitely going to revisit again once it comes out on, on home video. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it's a fun first, first outing, and I, I do hope we see more of the Daniels as as I think we're starting to see the crop of upcoming directors and in, into the next generation. Uh, you know, we have people like Nicholas Winding Refn, whether he be someone who's going to have staying power or not, at least he's making films that people are talking about. Uh, Alex Garland made a very interesting science fiction film. Hey. Ryan Johnson's getting a stab at star Wars. I mean, we're, we're getting people who maybe will be one of or two of them or, or multiple of them will be the next the generation of great yeah. filmmakers. Yeah. So sure. Yeah. Something to look forward to. Alex Garland's going to make another great, hopefully another great. I was uh, going to say, let's film. wait and see it first. <laughs> I'm really fucking hyped. <laughs> and I, I thought I saw that that just started filming. Uh, yeah, it actually just started filming uh, Annihilation. Um, I, I follow the author. I'm, I'm friends with the author of, of the original book on Facebook, so like sometimes we just like shoot the shit and talk about it. And do it's you like, really? Yeah. Oh, cool, man. Yeah, he's a cool dude. Yeah. Jeff Vandermeer is, uh, is a great writer um, and just a, a self-admitted curmudgeon, but he's just such a fun <laughs> guy. Um, but yeah, it was like he shows uh, all types of like set videos. Like he actually visited the set too, so that's great. Um, awesome. Yeah. Well, it's definitely a film that I think pretty much we're all looking forward to is – as if you listen to any of our podcasts in the last year, you do know that all three of us, and this doesn't usually happen, we're all big fans of Ex Machina. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Annihilation something to look forward to uh, coming up uh, in the next year and a half or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, if you have any other thoughts on Swiss Army Man, you could always send them on to uh, filmtankshow at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and again, Instagram, as we now have two posts. <laughs> Uh, and on the same day, after the last post was a, a photo of Michael Shannon uh, in pajamas, so that was something. Um, yeah, what he was in like Christmas pajamas. Uh, Who posted this? Uh, that would be me. Oh, okay, and I of believe, course. I believe it was Michael Shannon. I'm a Michael Shannon fan. You are, and he was. A You're ten- a Michael Fannin. He was attending. He was attending the. Uh, that that movie with uh, Seth Rogen and Anthony Mackie from last year, the, the night before. Yes, he was in that movie, and he showed up with very interesting attire, as only we would expect from That's him. That's right. But that was our last post. 
like six months ago, but oh, we boy. had two today, so we're 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 on our way. We're going back to doubling up here in the month of July. Yeah. So, anyways, you can find us Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or again, uh, hit us on filmtankshow at gmail dot com if you have any thoughts on Swiss Army Man or on the next film we're going to talk about. Uh, and this is this is pretty much it for Nick because he has been prodding <laughs> and pushing for us to finally talk about a musical. And we are going to finally hit on one, which I would say, um, at least from what I've heard from Nick, is definitely uh, a classic musical. And that is the film A Star is Born, which stars Judy Garland and James Mason. Uh, Nick, you've talked about this on this podcast before. And uh, I know you're a huge fan of this musical and musicals in general. So... Just give us a little bit of preview of a preview of um, why you really wanted us to talk about a musical finally as, as it'll be on the seventy second episode. <laughs> I just uh, why why we why this musical or why musical? no why just musicals in general? You've well, been pushing be- hard for us to finally hit on one because it's been one of the genres we've we've mu- stayed away from. Them, so. Musicals are something that I've always loved, even though I, I would say it's taken me a while to like truly get into them. It's weird. It's like some of my favorite episodes of television are the musical episode of various shows. Like the musical episode of Buffy is my favorite episode of television ever made. Uh, hmm. The musical Very good one. Is so good. Uh, the musical episode of Scrubs is one of the best distillation of the musical genre I've ever seen in a 24-minute episode. I mean, it's insane what they were able to do. Anyway, I, I love the concept of musicals. And uh, I've been wanting to do this because besides the fact that it's just honestly, it's like... It's such a staple of the Hollywood system, and we certainly do uh, things that are, I would say, I mean, like mainstream. Like this was like the 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 Marvel movies of the the forties and the fifties. Like yeah. people love to go see musicals because they were more than a movie; they were a show and something to be put on for. But what's unique about the one we're going to talk about is that it inverts that a little bit because it satirizes its own genre and has a much more cynical view on why we go to see these stories. So I'm very excited. And I've never seen this, so this will be a first time viewing for me. But I, I obviously, from the way you've talked about it before, and, and and knowing a little bit about the content that you uh, you've described, it is very interesting to me that Judy Garland is the star of, of this oh, yes. particular it's, uh, picture. I, I won't say she plays herself, but mm-hmm. uh, the subject matter of the movie in general is 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 besides the fact that it's so wonderfully rendered by both actors, it certainly hits close to home when you uh, take in the real world account of these people and just the Hollywood system in general. Well, if you want to find out uh, our feelings on A Star is Born, the uh, the 1954 version, check in with us next week as we will uh, be putting out episode 72. And we will be watching the three-hour uh, original cut. Thank God for that. <laughs> well, it's the only one that really exists on home video anymore. Really? But when wow. it was released in theaters back in the original run, the studio cut out like a good half hour. Really? It. Yes. But I, could, I could see that. But yeah. Ever since they un- unearthed the... It's weird because it's not the footage, but it's the, the behind-the-scenes stills. And that's I'll, I'll explain that to you guys when we watch it. But we're, there's going to be literally scenes in which it'll just become photographs and and the original audio because they lost the footage, but they still had the sound to it. But it continues the the story, correct? Right? Yes. Yeah. And it's crazy because you'll watch it and you'll be like, 
why did the studio think this wasn't important? This is literally how they got from point A to B. Well, anyway. Maybe in like 50 years, people will watch movies and be like, why the fuck did the studio need to keep making these Fantastic Four movies? This is essentially... Oh, they just need to stop at this point. I'm <laughs> because sorry. Because they're masochists. I mean, I, I, the only succinct way to put it is like, you know, A Star is Born is essentially like what we think of as the Batman v Superman ultimate cut. I mean, you know, if Zack Snyder only had his three-hour cut, I can't keep a straight face. <laughs> I just got this stone face. I'm just like, we're done. <laughs> so, so look out for that. Well, yep, definitely looking forward to it. And finally, we'll, we'll get a musical episode. And from the sounds of it, we may be having more down the road, too. So oh, we will. As, oh, yeah. as, as, <laughs> as, as, as the person who joined us this week, Sam, is, is seems to be interested in joining us for a musical episode down the road. So far. Yeah. Maybe uh, a little after the summer and we get past more movies that we have to see that are in the theater. Not that we have to, but we want to see that are in the theater. We'll oh, have... we have to. They pay us. <laughs> yeah. Who, yeah. Who is this we? Yeah, exactly. You too. <laughs> oh, hold on. I did not sign any of these vouchers. Yeah. You didn't sign the NDA? What? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Definitely A Star is Born, uh, an episode to catch coming up next week. So from Nick Cheney to Sonigan, and thank you again to Sam Shamar for joining us again. Thank you for inviting me again. We've enjoyed having you every time you've been on and look forward to more episodes in the future. Uh, I am Alex Diekman, and thank you for listening to this episode of Film Tank. We'll catch up with you next time.